podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Miller, lovely cushion header. Bajero! Oh, you beauty! What a headshot! What a hit! The time to Luis Garcia. Tries his luck. Hello and welcome along to your Champions League preview show here on Anfield Index. I'm your host Danny Wales and joining me to look ahead to match day one is Anfield Index writer Alex Barillaro. Welcome along, Alex. It's uh, a little while since we spoke, and as you mentioned before uh, we started recording as well, you were uh, you you were here for the show before we played Napoli last year, so um, I'm not sure whether that's a good or a bad omen. Ah, uh, Thank you very much for having me, Andy. I hope it's a good omen, because, uh, yeah, as I was telling you, last last year, ahead of the Napoli show, I kind of figured, uh, I was running my run sheet, and I kind of figured, okay, I'm going to try and make this as optimistic as I can, because I, in my my heart of hearts, I thought we'd blown our best chance at a sixth Champions League title. And now this year, uh, before the podcast, doing the prep, I went, Jesus Christ, we're champions of Europe. Um, this is bloody awesome. I don't need, don't need to be optimistic anymore. Clocks and... Clopperty's been already done all the optimism for me, so um, yeah, it's been brilliant to, to kind of look over the last 12 months and figure out how far we've come, and hopefully, yeah, me being on this podcast again means we'll uh, we'll start the right way, but also that we'll end the right way, and that, yeah, I'm, I'm the essential reason for all of Liverpool's Champions League success. <laughs> I, I might uh, I might just add into this that uh, since I uh, assumed hosting duties for this show, Liverpool have... Um, Got to successive finals, obviously losing one, but winning the second. So uh, my record as host for the show is <laughs> finalists two years running. So um, that's very true. If anyone's taking the, the credit, it is me. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, it is me. It's all down to me. Absolutely. <laughs> fair. Um, now, listeners, dear listeners, we are going to be looking at the draw for the group stages and previewing uh, previewing Liverpool's trip to Napoli. Um, but first. First things first, Alex, uh, we have got to talk about number six. Um, just how good was that, getting that sixth star? It was one of the most incredible well, mornings slash very late evenings uh, of my life. And, and being a young Liverpool fan, six, I've been slightly bereft of success uh, following this club. Having Jurgen Klopp come in 2015, 16 was one of those things where you just you finally have the genuine hope of being an absolutely successful club because yeah and like I'm, I was born in 97 kind of kind of missed number five in Istanbul I kind of I saw I saw it and got like infatuated with the club almost because of it mostly because of Fernando Torres so all the success I saw was the near misses and this absolutely wonderful man comes in and makes us absolutely impregnable at Anfield, gives us this aura of an elite team, and in the Champions League, we pull off just the most incredible, magical of 
comebacks, but also just incredible runs. Um, people forget how convincing we were against Bayern Munich over there. Uh, no, yeah, over there at the Allianz. And that 3-0 hammering, people forget that we basically did Porto by about half time in the first leg. And, uh, yeah, we, from there we kind of just went, took the emotional roller coaster to all the way through to Barcelona and should have won that game. <laughs> 3-0 was a stupid scoreline. It was a messy scoreline. It was the kind of thing that made you go, right, sometimes football isn't logical because the best player in the world's on their team. And then you realise, no, football definitely can't be logical after what happens at Anfield because there was absolutely no logic to that. Um, I will always attest to the fact that after the second goal went in, the first goal, everyone got like got uh, not antsy, but certainly got everyone up and about. But also, everyone realised like, okay, we've got one, but to get three goals in the second half is going to be a challenge in itself. As soon as the second goal went in, I think you looked at all the Barcelona players, and they realised they weren't winning this game. Um, they realised they were they were done, and that was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Uh, I still watch the highlights to this day every week or two, and just have to pinch myself that that happened. And then. You get to the final against the English team that we could very well slip up on, and it was the complete inverse of the pain of of the final that we lost in Kiev because almost at the, from day dot or from from point zero or point zero point four whatever it was, Salah scores a penalty and we're in control. Whereas against Madrid, the curious thing happens, and you feel like if there's one thing. This game is never going to be. It's in control. Um, so, look from a from a tactical perspective, we we improved. From a performance perspective, it was so much more emotional because, I mean, again, it, the road to Kiev basically had, you know, Roma trying to come back, but us kind of sweeping away, and obviously Porto again, who are going to be absolutely miffed if they have to get us in another knockout stage. But uh, the road to Madrid was very much a much more emotional, much more just <laughs> incredible, incredible journey. But at the end of the day, it was capped off by the fact that we spent seventy-five million on the best defender in in the world for a reason. We spent sixty odd million on the best goalkeeper in the world for a reason. Uh, and without those two, we wouldn't have made it to all the way to Madrid. We wouldn't have had probably the best night of certainly the best night of my footballing life. Maybe one of the best nights of yours. Yeah, it, 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 just the whole thing. Um, it, it's hard to to pin it down to one moment. There's so many different moments throughout that that campaign, throughout that run. And yeah, it, it's I think only right that you mentioned the goalkeeper, Alison. I, I always think back to the the game against PSG in Paris and some of the saves that he pulled off that night. That ultimately, when you see how the group ended up. They, they really were the difference between us qualifying for the knockout stages and going into the Europa League. So, it, you know, everybody played their part as, uh, some, in some way or another. Uh, Divo Carigi became a cult hero. And I think you're absolutely right. When it came to that final, I've never felt so calm and in control of a final. I, I just, it, it was bizarre. I, I felt absolutely serene. Uh, once we scored, I never, never felt um concerned or worried or felt as though what Spurs were about to score. It was it was a an almost 
an eeriness <laughs> in that I felt so so calm and and so so normal where normally my nerves are absolutely shredded so it, yeah it was just absolutely absolutely tremendous and, and myself and um, producer guy were there the the following day to uh, to see the trophy parade so it was um, it was just incredible it, it really was incredible and it's um I think it was fitting. A final point on on that last season, uh, Alex. So I think it was absolutely fitting that not having won the Premier League, the team had been so good to actually finish the finish the season with a trophy. It was it definitely the right way to cap it off because otherwise it would have always been looked at. You know, it was it was a great season, but with the asterisks against it. Yeah. Look, yeah, there was an asterisk. I mean, you could say there's been an asterisk in both seasons that that Klopp has been um, at the helm of, like, at the proper helm of the club. I mean, the the one before Kiev was also Klopp at his kind of developmental best because we got top four and, and we, the, even the season before the Europa League final, I think was more just a free hit. But yeah, I would say that the last two seasons have both come with caveats in that, yeah, we were the one thing we said that we wanted at the start of the season after the key of the marker was the league. We didn't expect to get to another Champions League final. We kind of just got caught up in the fact that, well, oh shit. All right. Yeah, we are one of the, we are probably one of the two best teams in Europe. All right. Here we go. The other best team in Europe is Manchester City and Spurs put them out. So, all right, fine. Here we go. Let's go. We've got this. And then, okay, if we can survive Barcelona, we can survive anything. And the caveat of not winning the league kind of came back at us there. Um, the, yeah, the, the Kiev caveat was obviously that we didn't win it, but it primed us for what is essentially being the best team in Europe. Um, so I don't think you can get one without the other, put it that way. I think uh, for it to happen as it did, made not only made everything sweeter from an emotional level from a fan's perspective, but gave this team complete perspective and it's yeah do we get Allison if Carrius doesn't make those mistakes probably but is he is it as significant winning the final in Madrid to in the the city of the team that we lost to the season before I don't, I don't know I mean every Champions League finals is significant every the number six in itself was significant but the fact that it happened after the miserly Dow Dow like pain of of what happened before the season before I think kind of just put it even better. Yeah, even better s- spin on it. Yeah, yeah, they it definitely the uh, the cherry on top of the icing on top of the cake. It was fantastic. Anyway, so that was last season. So this season, uh, Liverpool, as you mentioned, uh, the top of the show, defending champions now. So. You know, a lot of expectation, a lot of pressure on the club. And just taking a look around at the draw for the group stages then. Group A, uh, Real Madrid, PSG, Galatasaray, Club Bruges. Um, I think it goes uh, without question, really, that PSG, Real Madrid are the favourites to progress through this one. Yeah, there's, um, it's been interesting this this season, most of all. There's been a clear and stark reminder of how kind of Locked the Champions League is these days with, with kind of because of how predominant the predominant top clubs are when it comes to finances and there aren't that many dangerous groups. Um, this is the closest thing you could say to not really group of death, is it? Because that's kind of Group F, but it, the fact that Madrid and PSG are both in it 
means they'll qualify Bruti Galatasaray don't really have much to, to say in that group. But I guess PSG will be happy with that because if there is any team as flimsy as they are, uh, it's this Real Madrid team who I still can't quite believe won three straight Champions League finals because they are crap, to be honest. They are very crap. Sergio Ramos is and has not been the best defender, is not, sorry, and has not been the best defender in the world since Jose Mourinho left Madrid. Uh, he is a walking calamity now. Rafael Varane only performs in the big games and makes a crap load of mistakes. Marcelo is old now. He used to be brilliant. He's old and he loses his running too much. And Danny Carvajal is an attacking fullback who has to do far, more, far much more defending than he ought to. Um, Zidane is also probably going to be sacked by February, so I don't see Madrid going that deep in this com- competition. But then the last time I said that, they beat us in the final. So... I'm not going to count them out. I think, to be honest, PSG have a better chance of winning the Champions League final than Madrid do, though. Uh, winning the Champions League in general, purely because Neymar is going to be on a tear. Um, on his day, he's the second best player in the world. And they've actually got a competent tactical coach, coach in Thomas Tuchel. So I think as long as they avoid us, and we're going to be saying that a fair bit today, I reckon, which is the, just an incredibly cool feeling. I think as long as they avoid us... Um, maybe avoid Barcelona as well, then I think they'll be there and thereabouts in the, the quarters and semis this year because it is definitely going to be a mission for Paris Saint-Germain, as it, will, as it is for Juventus, who we'll come on to in a sec, uh, to do well in the Champions League um, this season. And I guess if there's ever going to be a season, it'll be the one where they've actually still got Neymar. Mm. Uh, Group B then, Bayern, uh, Bayern Munich... Uh, Red Star, Belgrade, Olympiacos, and Spurs again. Um, the the two teams that you would expect as as heavy favourites to go through here will be Bayern and Spurs. And I, again, I I, I don't look at either of those t- two clubs and and think um, they they look like they'll probably make the uh, the final this year. Well, yeah, again, it's kind of underlined the point that there are there aren't many. In exciting groups just because there are so many top tier teams that are just locked for the next round and there's probably it's probably going to be 12 of 16 that you could pick right now and go yep next round next round next round next round next round um yeah we know red star are a bit tricky but they won't provide any real opposition i think spurs if they get their act together actually have a decent chance of qualifying top of this group to be honest because Bayern munich while they have exceptional depth don't have it in all the right places. Um, they've got exceptional depth in centre midfield, but they don't really have a midfield screen that's brilliant. Javier Martinez is getting older now. Um, they've got exceptional depth kind of in number 10 positions slash Thomas Muller and whatever his role is. Uh, but they don't have any real depth out wide um, in terms of the drop-off from Kingsley Coman uh, and Serge Gnabry is quite steep. And at centre half, they've kind of lost Hummels, brought in Pavar and Hernandez, who they've been playing at fullback, so they can both play it at, at centre half. But Shula makes a lot of mistakes, and yeah, I, I, I don't know. Bayern under Kovac are such a weird one where they should be a lot better than they are, but at the same time, you can understand why they aren't quite as good as they are with all the the kind of turmoil in, in the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So I think and- of the German teams, Dortmund is probably the one that's better positioned to go deep in this competition this season. Yeah, and uh, I think there'll be more turmoil to come over this uh, coming season with Bayern. Um, Group C, 
um, Man City, Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, Din, uh, Dinamo Zagreb, and Atalanta. And I mean, obviously, Man, Man City stand out as the team most likely to qualify. And I think, as we've seen, you know, we know they're an exceptional team, and the pressure really is on for them to do something in the Champions League. Um, I, I guess it's the that. Um, that estimation that really that this is what they'll be the it will be their main focus after successfully retaining the Premier League that they turn their attentions to trying to uh, get this monkey off the back and uh, and get this Champions League. It is curious, isn't it? Because Pep Guardiola was brought in not from a France perspective, certainly from the owners' perspective, um, because they wanted to make the assault on the Champions League and be known as the best team in Europe. They sort of have accomplished that moniker nearly because they Pep Guardiola has done what he said he'd do, which is institutionalise his brand at Manchester City and ensure they've, they've been set up in the long run. Um, however, you get the sense that once he's gone, they're not going to be quite as elite in European terms and you think that he's not going to last longer than the end of this season, not unless he gets the Champions League final and loses. Um, which still is a possibility. So I think if there's ever a season that City want to really push for the Champions League, it'll be the one, the one with a Guardiola entering his probably his last season, but also be the one coming after a season in which they were knocked out by the eventual finalists in the last minute, and that stung them. Uh, but at the same time, you just get the sense that Manchester City are a league team; they know how to cope with the pressure of needing win after win after win after win after, uh, against kind of decent to mediocre opposition. But when the pressure comes on and it be European night against, and they have to clutch against a, a proper European, not necessarily even a powerhouse, because Spurs isn't necessarily a European powerhouse, but certainly a team hungrier than they are, then they find themselves in trouble. That being said, the only place I can see the dropping points here is... Uh, well, they've dropped points at Shakhtar before, but I think away to Atalanta is a difficult trip for anyone. And I would like to see Atalanta qualify. They probably won't, but I think they've been fantastic under under Gasparini and they kind of were unlikely fourth-place finishes. They've built a very interesting squad um, kind of on the cheap. So they're, they're famed for their youth academy, but that's not how they've built this squad. They've built this squad with really clever transfer moves. And uh, players like Papu Gomez and Yossi Pilicic are both just extraordinary. Um, and, yeah, I think Atalanta is a feel-good story, but I still I think it's going to be difficult for them to qualify. It's probably going to be City and Shakhtar from this one. Mm. And Group D is um, Juventus, Atletico Madrid, uh, Bayer Leverkusen and Lokomotiv Moscow. Um, I think it should be interesting to see how Bayer Leverkusen do in terms of the attacking talent, especially with uh, no pressure of expectation on them. Um, a shootout between Atletico and Juventus for the top two spots, though, you'd imagine. Yep, the uh, knockout game that was last season when Cristiano Ronaldo inspired the Juventus comeback. Yeah, poor, poor Bayern Everkusen. They get into the Champions League and uh, they come up against two, probably two of the most difficult group stage teams. That being said, I fancy Atletico for the Champions League this season. Um, the in the the stumbling point, if you can call it that, has always been Simeone football is 
great when it works and annoying when it doesn't. Perfect example was last season, that 2-0 win they got against Juventus should have set them up perfectly, but Juve came back at them and they, they didn't really crumble. They kind of just realised that the pressure was going to be just too much for their squad to deal with. They needed another goal, and when they realised they needed another goal, it was too late. Um, from my perspective, they've improved, and they are slightly turning away from Simeone football. So, the, you know, the introductions of Jao Felix is, is the big one, but at the same time, they have managed to improve with, with without... Well, no, they've managed to improve without an older Diego Godin, of course. Juanfran left as well, um, and obviously Griezmann left to Barcelona. I still think, yeah, they're a fantastic side, and they're going to they're cause danger for anyone, but Juventus is going to be a really interesting one. Under Maurizio Sarri, they've got well, well-known problems with their squad. They left Emre Chan out of the Champions League squad. Um, they couldn't ship the likes of Mandzukic and Sami Khedira. They're a really, really interesting team because of the signings they've made. Um, and if Sarri can get them clicking, it will work a treat. But I know the owners definitely want Champions League success. They wanted Champions League success under Allegri. It was eventually what cost him his job. That and the fact that he's just not a great manager and his football is dire and that he's falling out with people left, right and centre. Um, but Cristiano Ronaldo factor, he will want one more Champions League. He's not pleased to just sit on the Serie A every season, even though this season might actually be, be a bit more complicated for them. Um, yeah, Juve are one of the ones that are going to be pushing kind of like City hard for a, for that, that, that elusive Champions League that they haven't won yet. Mm, yeah, I, I can imagine them being uh, being there right near the end. Um, I, again, I, I think of Atletico and Juve. I, I do think I'd fancy our chances against them over two legs, but in a one-off game such as a final, um, yeah, that would definitely be a concern. Uh, we're going to leave Group E shortly because, of course, that's Liverpool's group. We will come mm. to that um, very uh, very shortly. Um, first of Group F, Barcelona, Dortmund, Inter Milan, Slavia Prague. Um, this is the, uh, the so-called. Yeah, this is the so-called group of death. Um, obviously, Barcelona will be seen as uh, the favourites to progress, uh, and then it'll be expected. The expectation is that it'll be between Dortmund and Inter as to who can um, who can qualify with them. Um, Inter uh, a potentially tough team, and and, and Dortmund. Um, it can be a little bit um, unpredictable, but um, they they certainly have some brilliance in them. So, be an interesting group. Yeah, I, I when I said before about Dortmund uh, being the more fearsome of the German teams, I completely forgot this was their group. So they will have to qualify from the group first. But I think if they do, they could give a real push at success in the Champions League. That being said, Inter under Conte are a completely different animal. Um, they've got finally got midfield stocks. Uh, Barella and Sensi's brilliant uh, up front. Lukaku looks like a gem. And if they can get Alexis Sanchez firing, then they may have some really, really, really good attacking stock too. They don't necessarily need to because they've got uh, a guy called Lautaro Martinez who is brilliant. Um, basically, the Maldi Cardi replacement, except his wife's not a maniac. Uh, and most of all, the system is kind of what works. And we've seen it with Klopp. Um, any player who leaves Liverpool is suddenly worse off because they are now lacking this, the system that makes them shine. And Antonio Conte is very similar. I really like him as a manager. And 
his kind of three five two slash three four three system is working a treat already at Inter. That being said, it's going to be really difficult for them to qualify from this group. Um, I think Dortmund under Lucien Favre have been excellent as well. I would fancy our chances more against Dortmund, someone we can go kind of pressure to pressure with than against Conte, who was so rigid and so tactically astute. Um, and then, of course, Barcelona. Well, they're not beating us anytime soon, are they? They're still frazzled from the, their experience at Anfield. Uh, and they'll probably qualify top of the group, to be honest. But at the same time, they've got their own problems. They've got their own issues. Luis Suarez ties the front line together and he's getting older now. He can't run like he used to. He's not Luis Suarez at Liverpool. Antoine Griezmann was never actually wanted by most of the Barcelona players. They wanted Neymar back. They didn't get him. And he's a great player, but I don't see where he fits if they want to play everyone together. And their midfield, Sergio Busquets is brilliant. He's old. Uh, Frankie Diong is brilliant. He's young. So they don't really have a, a key player in, in between. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're still leaky. They still concede strange goals. And um, I don't think they're as... they're go- Look, the fact of the matter is, Liverpool and Manchester City are the two best teams in Europe. And there's no real debate about that. So every time you see one of these teams, you're just like, well, we're the champions of Europe, we can beat them. Well, we're the champions of Europe, we can beat them. Barcelona, we've proven it. And then, and or even to Bayern, we've proven it. But then the only one that you look at it and go, oh, that would be difficult, is Manchester City. Because the familiarity's there. That being said, we've done it in Europe before. But yeah, mm. they are. They are, aside from us, they're the only team I think we should really be eyeing carefully. I think the others we can kind of go towards reckless abandon and kind of be like, "Yep, yeah, we're we're ready. We, we can face you." But in terms of Group F, Slavia Prague, yeah, they're they're just here for the times. To be honest, <laughs> enjoy the ride, guys. Enjoy the ride. Yeah. Um, group G, Group H. Um, I'll be honest. I, I look at both of these groups and think that. Um, the major teams will be be hoping to to get the uh, the first and second place teams from these groups. Uh, group G: Benfica, Lyon, uh, RB Leipzig, Zenit. Um, they're a very competitive group, but and good teams um, could be good on their day. But I think the elite teams will absolutely fancy their chances to uh, to dispatch them if they get them in the the next group phase or or even in the quarterfinals. Yeah, my most fun group. I love Leipzig. They're brilliant. I love Julian Nagelsmann. He's brilliant. So they're my team to watch. Uh, it's probably going to be them and Lyon because I think Lyon are great, but I haven't seen much of Benfica lately. Since losing Joao Felix, I don't know if they'll be able to recover as well. I mean, they're Benfica. They kind of always do. Um, so, but yeah, but Leipzig is the one that I'm looking out for in terms of pure entertainment value. They're unbelievable. They're brilliant. Um, Timo Werner signed a new deal with 30 million release clause. So mm. nudge, nudge, wink, wink, Michael yes, Edwards. Um, and, and, and the uh, defender he's sorry. started the season with three goals as well. So he's been killing it. Or yes. maybe more four, including the cup. But sorry, go. Yeah, yeah, he's, he has started the season very, very well. And sorry to put in, but um, yeah, also at uh, Leipzig is a, is a centre back. Who I'm very very fond of and um, uh, very high on for the future is that's uh, Ibrahima uh, Konate. Oh, I was wondering who you were going to say out of Konate and Upamecano. I uh, yeah, definitely Konate. Yeah, Konate is the better talent. Upamecano is the more 
renowned one. I mean, he's good at Meccano. Um, I think he's just a bit, he's just not as technically prolific as Kanate, who's phenomenal. He, he is utterly brilliant. Um, He's made for Jürgen Klopp, by the way, as well. Yeah he, yeah, he really is. And Leipzig have got their talent factory going now. After the first couple of seasons, the whole Salzburg connection is brilliant. And we'll get into Salzburg later. They've we got a striker. They very shortly be getting into um, But, yeah, Leipzig, the whole operation, even though it kind of flies in the face of German traditionalists, is just phenomenally fun. They've got one of my favourite coaches in, in Europe now. So, yeah, I love Leipzig. I really hope they progress. Um, and then, well, yeah, and Group H as well. Yeah, Ajax, and Chelsea, like before, Lille, Valencia. Yeah, he's also uh, fun. Good, think, good yeah. teams, fun, fun. But yeah, I, I, th- I think ultimately uh, they're not gonna they're not gonna be threatening at the latter stages of the competition. Mm, yeah, I agree completely. Um, Frank Lampard's Chelsea has kind of an interesting time here because Lille lost their good players. <sighs> they could still do it, but I don't think they will. Valencia have lost Marcelino, their coach and their director of football, and Peter Lim's basically taken over and tried to give the reins to Jorge Mendes. It's been a really. It, I I urge anyone who's interested to go look up the story and go have a look at all have a look at all the the attention surrounding it because it is a just fascinating tale about a manager at the end of his tether. He nearly left in the summer after his after his sporting director was about to be sacked. He said, "If the sporting director goes, I'm going." Peter Lim, who's the owner, um, Malaysian owner, I think, um, then didn't sack the sporting director. Marcelino said, "All right, I'll stay." Then Rodrigo nearly got sold. Marcelino said, all right, if you sell him, I'm gone. And by the end of it, Marcelino yeah, left. Peter Lim and, and Marcelino's relationship was so fractured that they left right after they'd made top four, right after they'd essentially built a squad that could actually contend for like proper La Liga success. And now it's all down the drain because they've got an owner who just wants to use his connection to the world's super agent one of the world's super agents. Uh, Frank Lampard's Chelsea is going to have an interesting time here because obviously Ajax, after the high of last season, sort of retained some of their stars and sort of didn't. Obviously, Frankie and, and Matthias both left, but they still have a good squad um, and I'd expect them to qualify probably with Chelsea purely because of the turmoil that Valencia is in and the fact that Lille lost a lot of their good players. Yeah. And sort of Group E finally then. Uh, Liverpool's group, as obviously Liverpool in there with Napoli, uh, Red Bull Salzburg and Genk. Um, obviously, we, we know Napoli well. We've come across them quite a lot recently. Um, Genk, I, I don't think it's going to be much much of a uh, much of a challenge. And Red Bull Salzburg, no Marco Rosa anymore, but um, could be an interesting one. Yeah, Marco Rosa, another one of my favourite coaches. So it's a sh- it's all kind of a shame that we didn't get to go up against him, but he's at Gladbach now and I love watching them. Uh, they've, yeah, they've, the striker I was mentioning before, Erling Haaland, is brilliant. He's got eight goals already this term in all competitions. And they are kind of the, the tricky one, the stumbling point. Uh, but then at the same time, we kind of said that Red Star was going to be easy last, last season and that kind of came back to bite us on the ass. But that being said, Napoli, yes, we do have Napoli. No PSG, though, which is good. Uh, I think we'll probably qualify quite easily. Famous last words and everything, but 
at the same time, you look at this group and you don't see much to really um, damage us. We know what we're going to get with Napoli, especially under Ancelotti. Salzburg, right, they're brilliant, but how brilliant can they be? They've got a new American head coach. I can't remember his name for the life of me. Um, but at the same time, you're just looking at, yeah, you're looking at any team in this competition and going, right, we're the European champions, we're the best team, we're one of the two best teams in Europe. You have to match us now. You have to be afraid of us. Um, and from there, it's a case of, well, can anyone match up to us? And there are only a few who can't. Sorry, Jesse Marsh, that's that's the American coach there at Salzburg. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we'll get into Napoli in a sec, but they are the ones, obviously, that we need to try and get maximum points off at Anfield and sneak a draw away and uh, other than that I think yeah we won't encounter too many problems yeah so so that that first match then you know because here we are on, on the cusp of match day one we're away to Napoli I mean it's it is a tough a tough game it, it was very very difficult for us last year and the the big thing for this I think that the big question will be you know where we where we failed away from home in the group last season uh, and the midfield looked just so flat and uninspiring. Um, we do seem to have, have moved on past that stage and Fabinho now is, seem, uh, is accepted as being integral. Um, do you see this as being the key area of the pitch for Liverpool? Yeah, I think so. I think last season we were suffering from Klopp's new signing syndrome where he needs to be completely 100% confident in signings being well and truly kind of attributed to the system, well and truly ingrained in the system because the system is the most important thing. We saw it with Cater, we saw it with, well, Cater had fitness issues. Cater, we saw it with Fabinho. Earlier than that, we saw it with Ox, we saw it with Robbo. The only one who's really just, well, there's two that they've completely slotted in effortlessly is the aforementioned Allison and Van Dyke. Um, from our perspective now, we don't have that issue because we didn't make any signings. Uh, and, and, yeah, at the same time, with all the negatives that that got, it has allowed for just supreme continuity. And we've seen that at the start of the season, even with players on international duty. We've still got the right balance in midfield that we figured out kind of during the course of the early Champions League run last season that has allowed us to go and go on those massive runs, the run towards Madrid and the run... To, towards 97 points. All that being said, we've got not just Fabinho, but also Henderson being unleashed further forward. That is an asset to the team where it was once kind of a limit because Henderson had a limit on how influential he could be as a six. We've got Genuine Aldum performing a very different role with Liverpool than he does to the Netherlands national team. We've just seen <laughs> Netherlands basically have unleashed the real, not the real genie, but the offensive genie and he was he dominated Germany. Um, but at the same time, he is imperative to the way that Klopp's 4-3-3 plays. And depending on when Navigator comes back, it'll be a couple of weeks more. According to Klopp, the hip issue is really niggling him. And it's a good thing he doesn't have to go back to international football for a while because I swear to God, that, that Guinea manager, who got done, by the way, for um, negligence, negligent treatment of his players got actually, I'm not sure if he's been convicted, but he certainly got charged from the FA uh, or from FIFA 
um, and and let go. Yeah, we shouldn't be letting Navi Keita go anywhere near international duty for the rest of the season, to be honest, because we need him fit. He offers the balance to our midfield, gives it the more attacking impetus. Um, but one thing we didn't have last season was a fit Oxlade Chamberlain, and okay, we might still not have a properly fit Oxlade Chamberlain, but it's good that the continuity has allowed us to have balance in that midfield where once we were a bit sluggish and even the Napoli game we won to qualify for the next round, it was just a Salah goal uh, and a brilliant Allison save from Dries Mertens that got us there. It wasn't necessarily a fluid performance, so hopefully this season we'll be able to, to be a bit more true, true Liverpool. Um, but at the same time, I'd, t- I'd still take two one nil wins against the toughest team in the group. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned Dries Mertens there. You know, looking at the Napoli squad, there's a few names in there. You know, Koulibaly, Manolas, Dries Mertens, as you said, you know, Insigne. They've they've got some good players. They they do mm. have some good players, obviously. And we know that you know, Carlo Ancelotti. They've got a very good, a very good coach there. Um, some issues with their dressing rooms at the moment. They're still not ready. Um, but this, you know, make no mistake about it. They, they're a good side. They've got some good players who can hurt us. This is going to be a really difficult uh, way to start our the defense of our uh, of our title. Yep. Uh, the consolation is that uh, Insigne won't be fit for the Champions League game, which is good. Um, I don't think Llorente will either. Uh, oh no, Llorente might actually be fit. Arkadiusz Milik is probably not going to be fit. He's going to resume training on Monday. He's been out for a while. Uh, he, he scored 17 low last season, or 17 or 18, I can't remember. And he was brilliant when he played, but much like the rest of his career, he has been hampered by injuries. Insigne, who scored against us, I believe, last season, is brilliant. Phenomenal footballer, but they've got more than just that front three now. They've got more than just uh, the... the. It was basically the, the Mauricio Sardi front three of Lorenzo Insigne, um, Jose Callejon, and, and well, Dries Mertens slash Arkadiusz Milik, depending on who started. Um, but yeah, Dries Mertens especially was so influential. Whether we have Allison back by the Champions League game is, is a questionable thing. The injury hasn't been ideal. Adrian, look, I'm going to say it, he makes me shit myself uh, when, he get, when he gets on the ball after those little nervy mistakes. So, look, I think it'll be fine even if we don't have Allison going into the Champions League game, but I would much prefer the security of our wonderful Brazilian keeper. Um, but Ancelotti's the key factor, and Ancelotti's a brilliant manager. Uh, he's found his rhythm at Napoli. They've had a chaotic start to the season. 4-3 win against Fiorentina, 4-3 loss against Juventus. Koulibaly, who's a supremely good centre-back, has been quite disastrous during the start of the season, and... Uh, we could take advantage of that because they're not going to enjoy coming up against the kind of counter-attacking firepower that we have. Whether we go attacking midfielding, uh, an attacking midfield position, or whether we leave Hendo there is kind of the question for the for the balance of the midfield. But we can certainly match their midfield. Their midfield is nothing special. It's going to be very much yeah, like you said, a battle of the front lines. I think. Mm. Uh, and what impact of the the Premier League games either side of this then? Because we're at home to Newcastle at the weekend uh, as we record this, and then immediately after that game away to to Napoli, we are away to Chelsea. So, you know, in the back of Klopp's mind, do you, do you think there's 
there's those Premier League games as well because I, I think you know there's no no two ways about it. there's no getting away from this that um, you know our sights are absolutely on uh, trying to go one better in the Premier League. Yeah, it's curious, isn't it? Because it's a bit like last season where we kind of said right Premier League, Premier League, Premier League. If something happens in the Champions League, cool. Um, but as of right now, we want we want that title. But at the same time. It looks like we'll qualify from our group pretty easily. Last season it was Bayern, who once we beat them, we kind of realised, oh god, hang on, we could go far here. This season, I think even once we qualify from the group, slash when, slash if, um, there is going to be a real overriding sense of prioritising the league. That being said, I think Manchester City is such a, look, they're such an enigma, because that unbelievable machine that could very well get to 100 points again. And I don't think we're getting not anywhere near, but I don't think we're getting near the the 97 points we amassed last term because that was just a gargantuan effort. But we're top right now. And you can't shake the feeling of if Manchester City get caught up in the Champions League fever, maybe there's a chance. I don't think there's much of one, but maybe there's a chance. But that being said, we have to put all our eggs into the Premier League basket just in case. But then, again, you're on the same lines of, well, then if something happens in the Champions League and we find ourselves in the quarterfinals, is it better? That you have to be, we have to, have to be careful about phrasing this question right, but is it better off that we prioritise the Champions League again, knowing that we've got a better chance of winning it than beating City to a league? That's a question that, that Klopp will answer. Um, but at last season, we proved that we could balance the two because 97 points was incredible, but I don't think we have the depth of squad to necessarily do it again. And we all know that every single Liverpool fan wants the Premier League title more than they would want number seven. But at the same time, which one's more realistic? You still have to ask yourself that question. So, yeah, it's a really fine balancing act, and I don't know the answer to the question. It is a very, very difficult one. I, I mean, when you look at uh, at the group, obviously because it's... Because it's away in Napoli that starts it off, but you, you know, you, at home to Napoli, you fancy we can do it there. And you look at the other teams. Do you, do you think it's perhaps then less imperative that we absolutely have to get off to to a winning start, and that that a draw is absolutely fine, and and even a defeat's just not the end of the world. Yeah, I, I don't think a defeat is at the end of the world in, in these Champions League group stages, uh, unless it comes to the bottom team at home. Look. The other thing is that how do I phrase this? Uh, so I just uh, just putting that in the context, not of you know uh, of kind of throwing it away, more of just the, the context of you know we we've got Premier League games either side of it, and and the pressure shouldn't be you know so you know solely on this this one game, just because oh, it's against yeah. probably main rivals for for top spot. Yeah, I, I think Chelsea is the most important game of that entire run. Yeah, um, because Chelsea is the game that. We we beat them. We put a marker down, and the fact is we're unbeaten in the, in the Premier League so far. And as the longer we can keep that record up, the more pressure will get piled onto our competitors. Whereas you look at Nup, we're basically getting the first and most dangerous game of our Champions League campaign done for in the first week, and it would not matter if we lose because even if we finish second in this group, there's not much that that we should be afraid of. So look. At the end of the day, yeah, and despite everything I just said before about us maybe needing to prioritise the Champions League because it's the one that we have a better chance of winning. Well, that's not exactly what I said, but it's it's a summation. I 
at the same time, we should absolutely be prioritizing Newcastle at home and then Chelsea. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, at this point of the season, it's what we need to do. I just yeah. also think that in the same frame of mind, if it comes to March and we're six points behind City and in the Champions League quarterfinal, I know which one I would be prioritizing because I know which one I think we have a better chance of, of winning. And maybe that's just me and maybe it's defeatist, but yeah. Also, there's the, look, there's the fact that, yeah, like I said, that this is the most arduous game. The San Paolo is an awful place to go play football. The dressing rooms are archaic. They're just getting renovations done, which is make the archaic stadium even more archaic while the work gets done. So if we can get out with a point from the San Paolo, which is, I'm sorry, Napoli Stadium, if, you, if people haven't cottoned onto it, then, I mean, we'll be fine. Because it's just an awful place to go play football. And that gets underrated a fair bit as well. So being able to go there and get it out of the way, done and dusted, in the first game of the, of the group stage, yeah, I'm very, very happy with that. And I don't think it's necessarily the, the most imperative uh, time of Liverpool's season. Certainly not until the Chelsea game where we should be all guns blaze. Yeah, and if Liverpool to come away with the positive result, then who do you think is going to be the key players? Um, depends on plays, to be honest. I think Napoli shut us out last season very, very effectively. So I'd like to say that Fabinho kind of building through the base of midfield and stopping the counter-attacks will be really important. But that's supposing he plays, because, I mean, could, Klopp could very well say, all right, you're playing both Premier League games. We're going to start with the dreaded trio of, of Milner, Henderson, Genie, um, to try and shut Napoli down the same way they shut us down. So, I mean, it's, it's, if Fabinho plays, he, he's an imperative to the way they transition, uh, to the way we transition. I think Mane away from home, especially on European nights, has a, has kind of his own dominion. Um, and Firmino, in the same way that he killed PSG last year at Anfield, uh, could well, do the same to our nearest rivals this season, uh, this this Champions League group stage. So, yeah, Fabinho and, and Firmino, the two Brazilians, and I think Sadio Mane is going to be as important in Champions League fixtures this season as he was in last. Final question then, match prediction. Um, how do you think it's going to go? I think it's going to be cagey. I think they're not going to want to lose after their just anarchic start to the season. I don't think it'll be a 4-3 like their first two Serie A games, so I'm going to go 1-1. One, 1-1, one. One, one, yeah. I, I, I'd be inclined to agree with that one. I, I do fancy uh, fancy us getting a draw, and, and as you mentioned, absolutely nothing wrong with that. Difficult place to go, good team. Um, getting the, the toughest game of the group out on, well, on paper anyway, getting the toughest uh, game in the group out of the way to start with. Um, should hopefully board well for us and and like you say, may, maybe we can kind of reassess prioritisations uh, in the second half of the season when hopefully we're in the quarterfinal stages and uh, we can look at how things are in the league and and weigh things up then and decide you know which which competition do we uh, do we uh, channel our energies into uh, more than the other. So uh, an, an interesting an interesting uh, game week ahead, Alex and. Uh, Thanks, thanks so much for for joining us and and going through everything, going through all the groups and uh, and looking ahead to this uh, this big match. Not a problem. Thank you very much for having me, Eddie. It was a pleasure, and uh, yeah, looking forward to hopefully talking to you again when we're on the path to number seven. 
yeah, you can be one of my my lucky charms. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. Yeah, so that's it, folks. Uh, that's it from this edition of your uh, your Champions League preview podcast here on Anfield Index. Um, thanks to uh, to Alex, and our thanks to all of you for tuning in and listening in. And uh, like I said, yeah, we will be back next time from ahead of match day two. Uh, we're going to cast our eye over what did happen in Napoli. Yeah, hopefully a positive result for Liverpool, and then look ahead to uh, the next set of group games coming up. So until then, though, from myself, Andy Wales, it's Bobano. Lovely cushion header. Bajero! Podcast Network.